The following sermon, entitled The Armored Christians Stand Against the Devil, 35th in the series on the Book of Ephesians, the Blessed Church of Christ, was preached on the evening of December 11th, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this evening to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we will read the whole of the chapter. The text for this evening's sermon will be verses 10 through 17. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs and that we might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Thus far we read God's Word. The text for tonight's sermon will be verses 10-17. through 17. 
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. To be a Christian is to be a soldier. That is, as Christians, we are citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven and by default are engaged in warfare against our spiritual enemies in a battle that extends throughout the ages from the Garden of Eden until the end of time as we know it. And the Apostle Paul understood this. When you read his letters, you find many different references to the idea of the Christian life being a fight, a battle. For example, when he wrote to Timothy, he called Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. And when Paul issues that calling, he's not issuing that calling as one who sat in his ivory tower without any idea what it was to be engaged in this battle, but he issues that calling as one who was on the front lines. Who perhaps, as much as anyone who's ever lived, apart from Christ, knows what it is to be engaged in this battle. To be a Christian is to be a soldier. And in light of that reality, the Apostle Paul concludes his epistle to the Ephesians in part with giving important instruction concerning our warfare. The text that we consider tonight begins with the words, Finally, my brethren, Finally, my fellow soldiers. Finally, my comrades on the battlefield. My brethren in the arms. I've written many things to you. But do not stop reading. Do not tune out now. Because I have yet to give you instruction concerning this part of the Christian life. I've yet to address the spiritual warfare in which we're engaged. And I have something to tell you about that. Be sure that you put on the armor that God Himself provides for this battle. That's the instruction of this text. And that's the Word of God that comes to us tonight. We've been making our way through the book of Ephesians. We are nearing the end. We have finished that section 
in which the Apostle Paul had specific application for particular segments of the congregation. And now he addresses the congregation as a whole once again and gives instruction concerning this spiritual battle. Reminding us to look to Jesus Christ and to be clothed with the armor that He Himself provides for us. For it's only then that we will be enabled to stand against our spiritual foe. And so tonight we consider Ephesians 6, verses 10-17 through using as our theme, the armored Christians stand against the devil. The armored Christians stand against the devil. First, we'll look at the battle. Second, at the armor. And then third, at the strength. The battle, the armor, and the strength. The first principle of war is that you must know your enemy. Every general through the ages who has ever had any success in warfare understands that principle. That if you are going to go head-to-head against some enemy, you have to know something of that enemy's strengths and weaknesses, the tactics that they employ. That's true of warfare in general, and that's true of our spiritual warfare. We must know the enemy. And that begins with knowing the identity of our enemy. And that might seem obvious, that might seem basic, but the sad reality is that the church has not always successfully identified the enemy. For at times in the history of the church, the church has wrongly supposed that the primary enemy they have to battle with is against this nation or this particular people group from a physical point of view. One sad example of that would be the whole history of the Crusades in the Middle Ages. And we ourselves are not entirely immune from this thinking. Sometimes we fall into thinking that my enemy is that belligerent co-worker. It's those godless authorities. It's that school bully or the troublesome neighbors. But those are not the enemies in view. For verse 12 tells us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That is, our enemy in view is not a physical enemy. It's not an enemy made up of flesh and blood. In other words, we're not to think of a particular people group or a particular nation or a certain person and say, that's my enemy. Because the enemies in view here are our spiritual enemies. And that's what stands out in this passage. And on the foreground, the enemy that's identified is the devil. That's verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There's our enemy. The devil, that angel that was created good, but was cast out of heaven for his proud rebellion against God. He's the avowed enemy of God who wants nothing more than to dethrone God. And in his hatred for God, he hates God's people. He is a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. The devil is our enemy. And along with him, he has a whole host, a whole 
army of demons. That's what's in view in verse 12 when we read in the second half where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Those four different words, expressions, are references to the fallen angels, those evil spirits, those demons who went along with the devil in his rebellion against God. And they now are under the command of the devil. They function as the army of the devil. They do the bidding of the devil. And understand, this is not a ragtag bunch of foes. Not a disorderly army, but the fact that we read these different words that we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's telling us this is an organized enemy. This is a structured army. They know what they are doing. And their goal is to destroy us. That comes out from the two different figures, the two different illustrations that are embedded in this passage. On the one hand, you have the idea of a soldier. Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God. He's going to talk about the different armor, including a shield and a sword. He clearly has a, a soldier in view. A soldier heading out, heading out to the battlefield where it's kill or be killed. That's the type of warfare. And that also comes out in that word in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and so on. Wrestle is a very accurate translation, but understand, this specific term for wrestle does not refer to a friendly match in which when you've reached your pain limit, you tap out and your enemy lets up. But this is a death match. This is the type of wrestling match that ends when one opponent is able to throw his opponent to the ground and he's able to choke the life out of that opponent with his hands around his neck. That's the wrestling that's in view here. And when you take these two figures, these two illustrations, it makes clear that the goal, the purpose of our enemy is to destroy us. The devil is not content to hurt us. The devil is not content to make our lives miserable. But he wants wants us dead. Spiritually dead. He wants to drag us to hell. And to accomplish that goal, he uses different tactics. We must know the enemy. And that includes knowing the identity of our enemy, but it also includes knowing how our enemy fights the tactics that he employs. And the primary tactic of the devil is deceit. He makes use of the lie. Verse 12 speaks of standing against the wiles of the devil. That word refers to the the devious and the cunning strategies of the devil. It refers to his craftiness. And what it's getting at is he makes use of deceit. He employs the lie. He is the father of the lie. 
And He uses that lie to try to lead us astray. To get us to sin. And we see this when we look at Scripture. We see this when we look at the Garden of Eden. How did the devil come to Eve? Hath God said... He called, called into question the authority of God's Word. And then having done that, he went on to contradict God's Word. You will not surely die. There's not going to be any consequences if you sin. There's no hook here. He used deceit. Those are the wiles of the devil. We see this in his temptations against Jesus Christ. You know, if you are the Son of God, you should not have to suffer these things. And that temptation applies to whether He's talking to the natural and eternal Son or whether to adopted sons. He comes to us with that lie and says, if you are the children of God, you should not have to suffer these things. Those are the wiles of the devil. They include the fact that he, he takes some truth and he, he mingles it in with the lie. He, he, he doesn't always use outright lies, but he often masquerades as an angel of light. He puts just enough truth into the lie to make it more believable. And above all, the devil tells the great lie that happiness, joy, is found in wrongdoing. That if you commit this sin or that sin, then you will be happy. Those are the wiles of the devil. And understand, each one of these lies, each one of these temptations is like an arrow in his quiver that he shoots at us. We say that in light of the end of verse 16. Verse 16 says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It speaks of darts and it's referring to any sort of missile, any sort of projectile, whether a javelin, an arrow, a dart as we think of it. And these are fiery darts. These are the arrows that have fire on the tips of them. And that are aimed at our hearts. And understand, He knows just the right time to use them. He, he's crafty in His use of them. And we say that in light of the language in verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. The evil day refers to when the devil comes upon us with a special intensity, with a special vigor. Now to be clear, the battle is always ongoing. It's an unrelenting warfare. But nevertheless, there are times in which the devil comes upon us with all of his strength, with all of his fury. That's the evil day. And when is that evil day? It's when he knows we're weak. It's when he knows we're isolated or vulnerable in some way. The devil is no dummy. He can spot a weakness a mile away. 
And He knows how to exploit those vulnerabilities. That's our enemy. Are we mindful of Him? Do we even realize that we are in this battle? And that's an important question because the devil wants us to forget all about him. That's what he does with the wicked world. What's the great lie he has convinced the world of? That he does not exist. And if he does exist, well then he's really only interested in demon possession and those sorts of dark things. And that's his tactic with us too. He, he wants to, to be undercover. He wants to be hid from view. He wants us to forget about Him. And thus it's so crucially important that we are mindful of Him. He's not a comic book character. He's not just a little red man with horns and a trident but He's a roaring lion going about seeking whom He may devour. And thus it's so crucially important that we are able to say what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, that we are not ignorant of His devices. Because we are indeed engaged and an all-out war with the devil. That's been true ever since the fall. After the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, God came to the devil, to that serpent, and told him, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God promised enmity. God promised Warfare, a constant battle between the seed of the serpent, the devil, and all those who are under his control, and the seed of the woman, that is Christ and his church. And because we are members of the body of Christ, because we are citizens in the kingdom of heaven, whether we like it or not, we are a part of this battle. To be a Christian is to be a soldier. And with that comes a calling. The calling to stand. That's the repeated word that we find in the passage. Verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor that ye may be able to withstand, to resist, to oppose in the evil day. And then verse 14, stand therefore. The calling of the Christian soldier is to stand, not to stand idle, but to stand firm, to stand strong. So that when we're on the front lines and wave upon wave of the enemies are coming against us, that we we hold our ground. We do not retreat. We do not back up. We do not budge even an inch. Stand, Christian. Stand when the devil comes in that wrestling match and tries to throw you to the ground. 
wrap His hands around your throat and put you to death. Stand in that wrestling match. Resist Him. Oppose Him. And all this is to say that in this battle we are to say no to sin and temptation. That's the idea of standing here or withstanding. It means to not give heed to the lies of the devil. It means to say no to sin and temptation. It's to fight against the devil. That's our calling. And so are you actively engaged in this fight? Because sometimes it happens that we become so overwhelmed on account of the attacks of the devil that we just sort of give in. We just sort of roll over. To use a different illustration, the illustration of two sports teams, sometimes it becomes so clear during a game that the one team is simply outmatched. And what can happen is that the other team, the team that's losing, just sort of gives up. They lose the will to compete and it becomes a complete blowout. Well, sadly, that can happen for us as Christians. That because I've fallen into the sin so many times, I've just sort of accepted defeat. Resign myself to failing for the rest of my life when it comes to this particular sin. Is that you? Is that me? Have we just given up when it comes to certain aspects of the, the Christian life? If so, God's Word comes to us tonight and says, stand, therefore, against the devil. That's the calling that comes to us in this battle. But now praise be to God. He does not expect us to stand there defenseless. But He gives to us armor. Armor to clothe ourselves with for this battle. And that's what we want to look at in the second point. The armor that God gives to His soldiers. And it's important that we see that this armor does indeed come from God. And that's evident from the language in verses 11-13. Put on the whole armor of God. Same thing in verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. This armor has its source in God. It comes from God. So that God is the one who forges this armor. And God is the one who furnishes this armor. He's the one who gives it to us. Really, this is... This armor is one of the blessings that He gives to us. Remember the, the grand theme of the book of Ephesians. The blessedness of the church of Christ. It emphasizes 
all of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places that are so freely given to us in Christ. And among those blessings is this armor given to us for the battle that we are engaged in. And as such, that means this is something that Christ Himself has earned for us. By His death on the cross, this armor comes to us in and through Christ. And really, you cannot understand this armor apart from Christ. On each piece of armor, you see the imprint of Jesus Christ. So this is the armor of God. It comes from Him. He forges it. He furnishes it. And at the very same time, we have the calling to put on that armor. That's the language in verses 11 and 13. Put on the whole armor of God. Clothe yourselves with this armor. And then verse 13, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Where take is to to receive something and to carry it with you, to make use of it. Put on the armor, Christian. And make sure you put on the whole of it. Not just part of it. Because if you leave a piece of the armor off, you leave yourself vulnerable to certain attacks. You need the whole armor of God. And we need this on it at all times. It must never be that the, the devil comes to us and finds us without our armor. We are to walk with it. We're to work with it. We're to eat with it on. We're to sleep with this armor on. Put on the armor. And if we ask, how do I put on this armor? The answer is by faith. And we'll have more to say about that later on, but we receive this armor by faith in Jesus Christ. So what armor? Well, rather than leaving it general, put on the armor, the Apostle Paul by inspiration becomes specific. And in the subsequent verses, he identifies six pieces of armor. And it's clear that he has in view a well-armed Roman soldier. That's the figure that he has in view, and thus the figure we must have in view, but then takes that figure and makes spiritual application in identifying six pieces of armor. And with each of the six pieces, the general outline we will use with each one is to say what is this thing that he has in view, to what piece of armor on a Roman soldier does he compare it, and then the use of it, the value of it, for our spiritual battle. Put on the armor. What armor? Well, first, we read in verse 13, "...stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth." The first piece of armor is the belt of truth. Truth here refers to a good conscience before God. And we say that in light of a passage such as 1 Timothy 1, where Paul calls Timothy to war a good warfare, holding faith, and a good conscience. A good conscience is... good conscience comes from knowing that my sins are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, and from a corresponding life of sincerity rather than hypocrisy. That's the idea of truth here. 
And the Apostle Paul likens that to a belt. He says, gird yourself, or having your loins girt about with truth. He's talking about the belt that a Roman soldier would wrap around his garments. And this was necessary because without that belt, his garments would sort of flap about as he moved. But with this belt on, it kept everything contained and he could fight in an unhindered manner. And that's what truth does for us. That's what a good conscience does for us. For if our conscience is burdened with the weight of the guilt of sin, we are quite hindered in the battle. If we know in our heart of hearts, I'm living a life of hypocrisy, of duplicity, that's a burden for us. That keeps us from moving about freely in this battle. What we need is this truth, this good conscience of knowing my sins are forgiven for the sake of the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that enables us to fight in an unhindered manner. To move freely in this battle. So first, put on the belt of truth of a good conscience. Second, put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's the rest of verse 14. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness here is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. For remember, this is armor that comes from God. He forges it and He he gives it to us. And therefore, the righteousness in view here is not the imparted righteousness, the righteousness that He works in me so that I live a life of good works, but it's that imputed righteousness, the, the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ that's given to us by faith that is the basis for our justification. That's righteousness. And it's compared to a breastplate, of course. For the breastplate is what covers the whole chest region. The breastplate is what covers some of the the most vital organs of the body. And that's what the righteousness of Christ does for us in our battle against the devil. For the devil comes to us with his accusations. He comes seeking to condemn us. He comes with a lie. There's no way you could be a child of God. You are far too sinful to be one of His children. He comes with the accusation there's no way God will allow you into heaven. You're such a sinner. Those are His attacks. And thus we need that breastplate of righteousness. That defense that enables us to respond, oh devil, you are right. If you have in mind me standing before God in my own righteousness, in and of myself, then yes, it's true. I have no right to heaven, but devil, that's not how I stand before God. But I stand one as one who is righteous in Jesus Christ. He is my righteousness. 
And therefore, there is no condemnation for me, O devil. That's how the breastplate works. And so put on that breastplate of righteousness. And third, take as your footwear the Gospel of peace. That's verse 14. And your feet shod with the preparation of the Gospel of peace. The main thing in view here is the Gospel. The glad tidings of salvation in Jesus Christ. It speaks of the Gospel of peace because the message of the Gospel brings peace. That's the heart of the Gospel. That we who were at enmity, warfare with God, have been reconciled to God. That we now have peace with God for Jesus' sake. It's the Gospel of peace. And it speaks of the preparation or the readiness of the Gospel of peace because it's knowing that good news that I have peace with God that makes me sincerely willing and ready, prepared to live unto Him, to serve Him, even as a soldier in His army. And this preparation of the Gospel of peace is likened unto the footwear of a soldier. Have your feet shod with. Likely what's in view is both the the actual footwear of the Roman soldiers. They wore studded shoes that gave them mobility. But probably also in view are the greaves, the, the shin guards that the soldiers wore. And the Gospel of peace functions as both. Because it's the Gospel of peace that makes us ready and willing to enter the fray. It's a Gospel of peace that gives us mobility as it were. That makes us willing to go to battle because we're so thankful for that peace with God that we have. And what is more, that that Gospel of peace serves as protection against the, the thorns, the tripwires, the snares of the devil. And so we're to clothe ourselves with the Gospel of peace. Fourth, make sure you also take hold of the shield of faith. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith here is obviously faith in Jesus Christ. And the trust that all of God's promises are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit through through Paul likens faith to a shield. Shield being one of the most important defensive pieces of protection that a soldier had. Like the breastplate, it covers the body, but the, the shield covered a greater area. And what is more, the shield could be moved about so that it could be used to counter the blows and the arrows of the enemy. And that's what faith is for us. Because the devil does have these fiery darts, these temptations, these lies that he sends upon us. And it's with the shield of faith that we're able to quench those darts. It's faith that renders them ineffective. And so we need the shield of faith. Take that with you. Fifth, put on the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, and take the helmet of 
salvation. And salvation here is almost certainly referring to the hope of salvation in all of its fullness. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, we read, But let us be sober, putting on for an helmet the hope of salvation. So it's the same language, but it's slightly more specific in that it specifies we're talking about the hope of salvation that is the expectation of the fullness of my inheritance. The the confident longing and desire for salvation in all of its fullness. Life with God in the new heavens and the new earth. And that hope of salvation is compared to a helmet. The helmet obviously being what protected the soldier's head. And having his head protected that made him willing to go forth into battle to engage with the enemy. And that's what hope does. Because the attack of the devil is to take Scripture and to twist it and say, you know, Scripture says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And you should know by now that your faith in Christ has brought you nothing but difficulty. Nothing but hardship. It's not worth it to be a Christian because many are the afflictions of the righteous. And that blow was aimed at our head. And so we need the helmet that is the hope of salvation. Because with that helmet on, we're able to answer the devil and to say, yes, there are afflictions here below. But I have the hope of eternal glory. And so rich will that life be that the sufferings, the afflictions of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us and in us. It's the hope of salvation that is our helmet. So we're going through the different pieces of armor that represent the whole armor of God. The calling is to put each one of them on, including the belt of truth, the the breastplate of righteousness, the footwear of the preparation of the Gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And sixth and finally, we are to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the end of verse 17. This sword is the easiest to identify because Scripture itself tells us what it is. It is the Word of God that is we are talking about the inspired, infallible, God-breathed Scriptures which set before us the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ. And they're called the sword of the Spirit because well, the Spirit is the one who inspired God's Word. And the Spirit is the one who enables us to know that Word and to, to use that Word. And the Scriptures are likened to a sword. The sword was the Roman soldier's primary offensive weapon and that's the only offensive weapon included in this list of six things. There's no spear. There's no bow and arrow. Simply a sword. And that's what the Word of God is for us. It's with the Word of God that we repel, that we drive away the enemy. That's how Christ used it. 
when the devil comes tempting him, Christ took up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and answered, it is written. And by the Word of God, He repelled, He drove away the devil. Get behind Me, Satan. And that's how we are to use it as well. So that when the devil comes to us with his temptations, we respond by saying, it is written. And we draw from Scripture, whether quoting it from memory or simply recalling a certain biblical principle, and we use that to drive away the devil. Scripture tells us that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And now in light of this passage, it's clear that it's the Word of God that drives Him away. And so we have here six pieces of armor. All of them forged and furnished by God in Jesus Christ. And as soldiers of Jesus Christ, we are to put on this complete array, this complete set of armor. And we do this by faith in Christ who alone is our strength. You see, this passage emphasizes that our strength is not in ourselves, but our strength is in Jesus Christ. That our strength is not found in ourselves is evident from the various verbs that are used in this passage, a number, a number of which surprisingly, at least initially surprisingly, are passive. For example, in verse 10, when we read, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, that word be strong is in the passive so that the idea is receive strength. Be strengthened by another. It's passive. The verb is. Same thing in verse 13 where we read, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand. And again, be able is passive so that it's really be enabled. Be given the ability. Be given the strength to stand. And what this is telling us is that our strength the ability to stand that that's coming to us from somebody else, from some other source. And that source is Jesus Christ. Because not only does this passage give us the negative, the strength is not found in you, but it tells us the positive and does so at the very outset of the passage. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the power of his might. The text used three, uses three different synonyms strength, might, and power. And it connects all three of them to Jesus Christ. So that the Spirit is telling us use whatever word you want, strength, might, power, or any other synonym, and recognize that all of that finds its source in Jesus Christ. It comes to us in and through Jesus Christ. For He is the One who is the captain of our salvation. 
our Lord and our King who has conquered our spiritual enemies by His saving work. For He went to battle, beloved. He went to battle against the devil in the wilderness. And that the devil came tempting Him. And you can be sure the devil employed all of his wiles, all of his craftiness. He used his most carefully laid snares. That was the evil day. The day when the devil came with all of his fury, with all of his strength, with everything he had. And our Savior withstood. The devil tried to throw him to the ground and wrap his hands around his throat. But our Savior stood firm. He did not budge even an inch. He did not give in even the slightest. But he resisted the devil. He said no to the way of sin. And thus he won that battle. And he continued to win the battle every time that the devil came against him. When the devil sent his demons to try to undermine Jesus Christ's ministry, not one of them could stand. Even when there was a a whole legion of them all in one suffering man, Jesus cast them all aside. And he continued to fight. He continued to stand all the way until the cross where He dealt the death blow to our enemy. He conquered our enemy by His saving work at Calvary. So that we read in Hebrews 2, verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same that through death He might destroy Him that had the power of death that is the devil. Jesus Christ destroyed the devil by His suffering and death. And by His suffering and death, He destroyed all the devil's minions. Equations 2, verse 15. And having spoiled, notice the language, principalities and powers. The same language that we find in Ephesians chapter 6. In Colossians 2, we read that Jesus Christ spoiled them. He made an open show of them, triumphing over them. Jesus Christ is the victor. He is our conquering King. And as such, He is the source of strength for us who are soldiers in His army. Back up to verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Look to Him. Because the strength to stand, the strength to fight comes from Him. And now notably, He gives us that strength by giving us this armor which we receive by faith. Notice the progression here in the first half of the text that we are looking at. It starts at the most important place. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Your strength is going to come from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the strength to stand against the enemy. But yet then in verses 11 and 13, we find this language, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to be able to stand. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand. So that when we read verses 11 and 13, it sounds as though it's the armor that enables us to stand. And when all of this is teaching us, when we connect the dots, when we put it all together, it's telling us that Christ who is our strength, the source of strength, gives us strength by giving us this armor and calling us to receive it by faith, to put it on, to clothe ourselves with it in an act of faith. So that the calling to put on this armor is really the calling to look to Him. To trust Him. Look to Him in that evil day, child of God. When the devil comes upon you with a special vigor, with a special strength, when it's clear he's bent on getting you to fall into that sin again, look to Christ. Cry out to him, saying, I have no strength of myself. Help me, O Lord. Look to Him when the devil has gained the upper hand. When the devil has hurled us to the ground and has his hands around our throats. Cry out in true repentance. Help, Lord. I gave in again. I said yes to the devil. I believed his lie for the thousandth time. And here I am. I'm ensnared. I'm stuck. I'm helpless. Help. Save. Arise, O Lord. Put your enemies to flight. And look to Him even when all seems quiet. Even when things are going well. Because the reality is if things are going well, we tend to let down our guard and When we do that, we are all of a sudden standing in our own strength. And let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Look to Jesus Christ for strength in your spiritual battle, child of God. And do so with the confidence. That His grace is sufficient. That His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Look to Him with the confidence that our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He is able to so enable you, to so strengthen you, and to work in you by His Spirit. 
that you are then enabled to say no to the devil and to resist his attacks. May God so grant us that grace. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, Thou hast made us citizens of Thy kingdom, and Thou hast called us to be soldiers who are to fight the good fight of faith. Father, we thank Thee for the gift of armor given to us in and through Jesus Christ. Strengthen our faith that we might lay hold of that armor and make use of it in our battle against the devil. Forgive us, Father, of the many times that we have fallen, that we have given in to the lies and the temptations of the devil. And grant us strength in Jesus Christ to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.